Before we get into our talk this evening, where we're going to be talking about challenges to that and how we face those, um, we also want to have an opportunity tonight to hear from those who, from our midst, went out in that mission uh, to the world with an um, organization called Wheels for the World. And so those of you who are on that trip who are planning on sharing just for a little bit tonight, could you, could you guys come to the front now? Um, and I won't make any more statements other than that you guys are coming and uh, we're excited to hear about what God did through you guys uh, in the time you were gone. So um, if you want to come up here, that's great. In case that mic doesn't work, you can just use the one that's right there. And um, yeah, share with us, and then uh, we'll pray when you're done. Thank you, Steve. Um, and thank you as well for all of you, those of you that, we knew, that knew we were going out to Kenya just recently um, and supported us whilst we were away. It really is a blessing to know that people are praying for us. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know about Wheels, it's one arm of the Christian charity called Through the Roof. Um, which aims to change, they're moving around because they know which order they're going in, um, which aims to change the lives of disabled people throughout the world. Um, and Wheels provides freedom to those with physical disabilities through the gift of a wheelchair or a walking aid, and most importantly, shares the love of Jesus with each person who comes to a distribution, and each wheelchair recipient also receives a Bible. So a team of 11 people went on this trip to Kenya. If you count, there's only nine, but that's because only nine of us traveled from Heathrow. Um, and during the five distribution days, we, we, um, 191 people were given a wheelchair or a walking aid. Um, but behind those 191 are friends and families and neighbors and the ripple effect of freedom goes out to those other people as well as the recipients. Okay. So we were based at uh, two different locations, um, which were about a three-hour drive apart from each other. Um, so these were Kimalili and Eldoret. So Kimalili is a, is a town in a fairly remote area, and uh, we work with a, a non-denominational evangelical organization called ICFEM. So ICFEM, they have probably about 70 employees, I think, and uh, amongst other things, they run a hospital and a school, as well as a number of community-based projects. Um, and some of their um, senior leaders um, worked closely with us on the trip, uh, and they were, they were brilliant. Um, what I should say is, up on the screen, yeah, the, there's a gentleman there, um, you'll see, and his name was Macton, uh, and he was one who he actually helped um, on the, on the pastoral side of things for the trip when people were given their Bibles after receiving a wheelchair. And I just mention him because we worked very closely with him, but uh, just after we returned home, he actually had a blood clot on the brain, seriously ill, and has just, I think, come out of hospital. Um, but it would be good if, um, if you're able to remember him in your prayers. Um, so that's Macton. Um, Having been at Kimalili, they then moved on to Eldoret, which is a city, um, and a partner there was an organization called CBR. They were a much um, smaller organization than the team we had at Kimalili, um, but they were very helpful, although none of them had worked with Wheels for the World before, so it was a slightly different challenge for us as a team 
um, in that we were having to explain what, what everything was about. Pass you over to China. So 197 is quite a lot of people, but I just wanted to tell you about one little lad in particular. <laughs> I thought I'd be okay. <laughs> so this little lad was called Sammy. He's 21, and he has the privilege of going to school. Um, he'd had a wheelchair before, I believe, from when we went before in 2019, um, but that wheelchair had broken. He was still going to school, but he was having to crawl around on the floor. And you can see from the photos, like his knees, how they're covered in dust and his feet. Um, and so it was such a joy and a privilege to give this lad um, a wheelchair that he could push himself as well. So um, we did have a little video with him wheeling himself around. So he's gone from being dependent on people trying to, you know, carrying him or crawling, but putting him in that wheelchair has given him that independence to get around by himself and that was such a joy. He had a sad story. His mum had left, had left him um, when he was three years old. She had gone off with the two other children that she had. So he was left and his, his aunt brought him up. And um, so it was a sad, really, you know, sad beginning, but um, you know, he has been blessed greatly through going to school and having this wheelchair and having this carer. Now, Sammy was non-verbal. He wasn't able to speak, even though I thought he was speaking Swahili. He wasn't. <laughs> um, that's a challenge to realise if they are actually speaking or not. Um, but he was able to sign, and in the school that he'd been going to, he'd learnt a lot of sign language. And actually, having Sophie here, she was able to communicate with him. Um, so that was fantastic. Just a little plug for ICFEM. It's coming up to Christmas time, and I just wanted to say that if you go onto their website, they do gifts. You can buy someone a bike for £50, you can buy a goat for £10, you can buy a, a school starter kit for £15. Just simple things that, you know, we, we might not be able to go over there, you might not be able to go over, but you are able to support in that way. Little plug for ICFEM. Thank you. I've been to Africa four times, twice uh, in Uganda, twice in Kenya. And I always come back an emotional wreck. I really do. Same as Joanna. And all of us, really. Because of the situation we find uh, grown-ups and, and children. I want to introduce you to a little girl called Mercy. And uh, she was born um, with water or fluid on the brain and wasn't treated and she is now as you see in the picture there she is now five years old her body is really like a two-year-old um, very very uh, disfigured body and um, she came to us uh, her mother bought her um, she, she had got already three other children at home and uh, um, she, she bought her and we gave her, she was the penultimate person that we, that we met at uh, Eldoret and we, um, we gave her a push chair, we had that available and also um, Belinda as you see She's the physio there, and I was the techie. So we uh, made her comfortable in, in, a, in a push chair. 
with uh, cutting out foam so that she could sit in it, cutting out foam so her back could go in it, and also for her head as well, because she had no control over her head at all. And my prayer is that the Lord will bless her and be with her. Uh, the thought is that she may only survive another year and it, it's, um, it rather cuts you uh, really, really uh, emotionally. Um, but uh, that's Mercy. Her name is Mercy. Do pray for her. Sophie. Yeah. Hello. Um, so unlike everyone else who's a pro, um, I was a first-timer. Um, so yeah, it was such a humbling and encouraging experience for me. Um, I bought a new role to the team, so I went out as a play specialist. Um, so like Sammy and Mercy, I got to work with so many different children um, and families. And I worked the way through the whole process from when they got there in the waiting room. Um, I got to know them. Um, I started to play with them. I started to talk to them. And then I worked the whole way through until they left with their wheelchair. And the transformation from them crawling in or them walking in um, and being very, like, withdrawn um, children who don't ever get engaged with. They don't really ever um, have people looking in their eyes um, to then work in their way through the whole team and then going to the end. And it's just a joy to see them smiling um, and so happy and teaching their families like how to engage with them, how to talk to them was just such a privilege. Um, so yeah, that was a new role. So if anyone has any skills in anything, go talk to Cathy, because um, we can make any role up in these teams. Um, and also, if you want to learn more about what we did on the trip, I was also the blogger. Um, and the second part of the blog is going out tomorrow, I hope. Um, so yeah, you can read more about some of our stories and what we did. Great. Well, why don't we um, pray together after uh, what we heard about the trip. So uh, let's go to the Lord now. Father, <clears throat> thank you for the opportunity that uh, Kathy, uh, Graham, Neil, Joanna, and Sophie had to go uh, with Wheels for the World. And we thank you for this ministry, for laying it on their heart. Uh, we thank you for the, um, the numbers they shared, but how they also shared the individual stories and faces. And um, Father, I, I'm, I hope I have the, the names right, but we know you know them whether I do or not. Uh, we pray for, I believe it was Macton. We pray for uh, his health, Father, that we thank you for protecting and preserving him. And we pray that you would raise him up to wellness and health again. We pray for effective treatment and we just pray for your healing hand. Uh, but Father, we also pray, I believe it was Sammy and Mercy and Lord, the names of all the other individuals who were touched. Uh, Lord, we pray and uh, know that they are precious to you, that they are made in your image, that you love them. We thank you for this opportunity that was had to share that love in a tangible way. And we pray also, Lord, that they would know of your love through Jesus, uh, through the ongoing ministry that happens.
And so, Lord, we give you thanks, but, Lord, we also continue to come before you um, that what was sown in this trip uh, would bear fruit in so many ways uh, that ultimately leads to your praise and your glory through your redemptive purposes. Um, Thank you again for the team and for the others that were uh, represented in it. And, Father, may they uh, be encouraged um, and continue to know that you will be, uh, be working in what you had them involved with uh, during this trip. And we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So with the time that we have left this evening, I want to start by asking you this question. Um, do you like challenges? I was thinking of putting like some sort of like riddles or puzzles or locks or something out on the tables tonight. I thought, no, probably too much to, to put you through after Would You Rather last week. Um, depends on your personality. Maybe you like a challenge. Amanda knows how to motivate me to do DIY at home. She says, bet you can't fix that because I love a challenge. And if you tell me I can't do something, my personality is, I'm going to show you I can do it. Some of you may not be like that. Um, Some of you prefer just comfort or I don't care, you know. But the flip side of it is, whether you like your challenge or not, depends what the challenge is about, isn't it? Because I can say I like a challenge, but I don't like a challenge in my finances. You don't say, like, I love having a health challenge. So challenges come in different shapes and different sizes. And so we think about this whole idea of uh, God being on the move. And we've talked about what it means that God, in making the church, is his uh, birthing the church. It, it's, it's movement. It was, it's his vehicle to bring glory to himself through his mission of bringing his blessing of his name to the world. And so we kind of uh, been talking about as a church how we've encapsulated that as we think about our own mission, that we're here to invite all people into an ever-growing relationship with King Jesus. And we've looked at different ways that that has um, been traced through the book of Acts. Uh, last week we looked about how people, the last two weeks, about reaching more and more people, but then also having people be developed, that it's Uh, If you look at the next slide of uh, the glass and the lighthouse, that we have to be, as a church, um, both a filling station and a lighthouse at the same time. Holding out the hope that's found in Jesus Christ and seeing more and more people come into the kingdom, uh, but also seeing people developed and deepened in their walk with Jesus Christ. And when we frame all this, understanding that this needs to be done in God's power, because if this is accomplished for his purposes and for his glory, there's no way we could do it on our own. And to know that the enemy of our souls and the enemy of of the Lord himself, uh, uh, Satan, is opposed to all this. And we live in a world that is uh, fallen and opposed. It's, It's no doubt that we would face challenges. Some of the challenges we face as an organized church, well, they can be interesting and can be motivating. There's other challenges we could face that come from the enemy of our souls or from our own flesh or from the world. And we need to be mindful of that. Jesus reminded his disciples, or perhaps informed his disciples would be the better way to put it, that life on this planet until he returns would not be easy, even in this mission that he had given them. He had promised he'd be with them at the end of Matthew to the end of the age. But in Matthew chapter 10, preview of that, he says this, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. I don't know how that would pass a risk assessment. Right? You say, wait, that's too risky. That doesn't sound safe. That, doesn't, that sounds like there's going to be problems, challenges. Therefore, 
Be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. So it's in light of this, and as we go back to um, the book of Acts tonight, that we're going to be talking about the challenges that were faced, some of which we still face, um, and how they need to be wisely overcome. He said, be as shrewd as snakes, but as innocent as doves. And as we trace God on the move through the church in the pages of the book of Acts, where we come back tonight, several different challenges to gospel movement, the church on the move, emerged that required a wise response from his people. And all we're going to do tonight is I'm just going to, as I read through Acts, been studying it over the last, last several weeks, just want to highlight some categories of challenges that were faced. Not exhaustive, um, this isn't in a, a full treatment of this topic, uh, but something just to spark our thinking and then hopefully um, have some ideas of some ways that we can be walking this forward um, here. So the first, direct Opposition, and this verse up here is perfect. Direct opposition, which took several forms from various interests in the book of Acts. We see this right at the beginning with the, that first bullet I think you have there, the religious leaders of the time. Religious leaders, we'll see both Jewish religious leaders and pagan religious leaders, but here starting with the Jewish religious leaders. So the gospel started to bear fruit in Jerusalem. Remember Jesus said this idea of being on the move, Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You'll be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then in all of Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. First few chapters of, of the book of Acts fo focus on Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, it says, everyone in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign. What was that sign? Peter and John had, through the power of Jesus Christ, Jesus had healed a, a man who was crippled. And they knew this was a miracle. It says, but they had to stop it. We have to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people. They were challenging it. They were pushing back on it. We must warn them not to speak, to speak no longer to anyone in this name. It says they called them again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. The narrative goes on. Basically, they say no and they continue the gospel continues to bear fruit. Things walk forward into chapter 5. And if I turn in my Bible to Acts chapter 5, if you guys go to the next slide. In Acts chapter 5, verse 17. In fact, if you go uh, to verse 16, if you're looking in your Bible, it says, Crowds gathered uh, also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits. And, and all of them were healed. And so... Um, the gospel and the power of God, the kingdom of God was going out. And it says, Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. And it's almost like the ante gets up here. They arrested the apostles and put them in jail. If you read through the remainder of this chapter, again, they tell them not to speak in the name of Jesus. At verse 40, it says that they're, they're flogged. They're whipped. They're beaten. A horrible Horrible experience. So you see this challenge, this direct opposition from religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders. And it comes, if you will, 
the intensity comes as you get to Acts chapter 7 with a man named Stephen. And Stephen, as you come to Acts chapter 7, the end of that chapter, he gives this lengthy speech where he's basically indicting them, indicting the people who had rejected Jesus and, and, and framing it all in this challenge and resistance to God's, to God's work from the Old Testament through to this point of them rejecting Jesus. And you see as it emerges here, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this, this image, if you can try to capture it in your, hand, in your head, in your mind's eye, it's like they can't hear anymore. They cover their ears. They, they, they yell at the top of their voices. Try to envision that. They're, they're just trying to, to drown it out. <laughs> they don't want anything to do with it. And they rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. And so as you trace it, again, just to say, to note it, that Jesus, in other points of the Gospels, including where we look tonight, warned the challenges would come. And as we start looking in the book of Acts from the very beginning, there was direct opposition, some of it from religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders, but also pagan religious leaders. And I'm going to come to them again in, in just a moment because really most of the time this direct opposition came in combination. There was this religious challenge, but there was also Political powers, civic powers, that brought challenges as well. Some regional leaders like Herod. If you go to the next slide here, guys, I think it's Acts chapter 12. Yes. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. Listen to this. Um, James, the brother of John, put him to death with the sword. When he saw this met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. If you read on, it says, happened to the festival of unleavened bread. He, he put him in prison. And then it says that he, as you read through this, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each, he intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So he was, he was doing a PR thing here. He was trying to get spectacle. He was trying to, to play this. And the challenge he was bringing there, the direct opposition also um, included this political power, but you also see how it begins to morph and include various forms here. Look at the next slide here. I believe the references are wrong on this. It says Acts chapter 11, verses 27 to 30. This is actually Acts chapter 13, 49 and 50, I believe. But this is an area, the gospel kept moving. It spread out of Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and now it's going to the world. This is a place, Pisidian Antioch. Not the Antioch we looked at, it's another Antioch. Kind of like there's a Boston in, in England, there's a Boston in the U.S. Two different Bostons, right? So this is, this is Pisidian Antioch. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. It's on the move. It's going. It's spreading. But, contrast, challenge, Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women in high standing, uh, of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So what happens? Various interests working together, political, religious powers. In fact, if you go on to chapter 14, guys, I know it says Acts chapter 12, but this is Acts chapter 14, verses 4 through 7. The people of the city were divided. 
Some sided with the Jews, others with the, with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. So there's, there's several different interests, various interests bringing direct opposition. And the last one, if you think there's a, uh, a religious interest, uh, there's a political power interest, there's also a financial one. Last week, um, we won't look at these verses again, we'll look at another step. But remember last week, we looked at, um, two weeks ago, I'm sorry, we looked at a, a little slave girl in Philippi who could predict things. She could prophesy. And uh, she was a slave because she brought monetary gain to those who owned her. And so the people who owned her had a vested interest in her not being set free. You get to Acts chapter 19, there's a similar situation in the city of Ephesus. Where, um, you can go back one more, and we'll just, I won't read this whole passage just for the sake of time. But what you had here in Ephesus, as you can see, there, were, there was a shrine to Artemis. And they made silver shrines of this, and they brought a lot of business for the craftsmen there. And so this guy, Demetrius, called them all together, all the tradesmen, and said, you know, guys, we have a pretty good gig. We make a good income from this. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia, saying that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. And so the challenge comes, the pressure comes, go to the next verse, and he's, they basically stir it up. If you guys, yeah, right there. He says, our trade will lose its good name. And so come down here. It says, when they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, and soon the whole city was in an uproar. Why do I bring up all of these? Because the reality is, in all of these different interests, there could be more. I'm just pointing out ones that show up in the book of, in the book of Acts. But if God's kingdom is going forward, and we've talked about his rule and his reign, that uh, the kingdom of God, of God's people in God's place, living under his, his rule and his blessing. And if God is bringing people out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, that means there are interests threatened by the gospel. And it can look different in every community. Probably even for you, if you're here tonight and you're seeking and you're wondering, what is this following Jesus um, business and what does it mean that he's a king and lord and all these other things and when you start looking through the gospels and see that that Jesus is a king and he is someone that we are to respond to in repentance and faith and submission and our own interests can be threatened in that and so when we think about the church on the move if it truly is reaching more and more people and developing them more and more to love Jesus and to live for his kingdom and be like him in character and all things, then there will be interests threatened. And when that happens, that kind of direct opposition can come even, even today in various reasons. In church planting in the States at least, I'm sure it's the same here, it'd be interesting to see sometimes how religious power, political power, and business power could work to oppose the work of the gospel in a community. Because sometimes on High Street, a new church in the area is bad for business, if you know what I mean. Um, or, no, we really don't want a church in that school. 
Or, so it's interesting how these things can come up. So a second one that we see develop is dangerous deception. Dangerous deception. I worked really hard to get a lot of Ds tonight. Hopefully they, they work. Dangerous deception. Basically risks from within. Risks from within. And um, we may be familiar with some of these. Um, I believe on your sheet probably is Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. And if you're not familiar um, with this passage, there was a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira also. They sold a piece of property. So the context for this is there was a man named Joseph, also known as Barnabas, who we heard about in some of our previous talks, who had a piece of property that he sold and he laid it at the feet of the apostles. And there's, there's this context where they were meeting the needs of the time. But they sold it, and with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And the, um, the clear the sense, as you read through the rest of this account, presenting it as, here's the full amount. Yet he lied and held some back. Now, they're both confronted on this. They're told that they've lied, not simply to, to human authority and the apostles, but they've lied to God. And they both drop dead. And it sounds like a, a horrendous situation, but what was it that was um, operating here that was so dangerous? Well, one, there was a duplicity. And there was a desire for recognition. A duplicitous desire for recognition. That kind of dangerous deception is a challenge that is very dangerous. Because when you think about, well, let's just maybe look at one more example and then pull these together actually in one full thought. Because there's another incidence of someone where you're getting to people's heart motivation. And that is a man named Simon in Acts chapter 8. Simon known as Simon the Sorcerer. So when the gospel comes to where they are here in Acts chapter 8, I need to refresh my memory. I'm sorry that I cannot remember this. Um, They're in Samaria. And when they came to Samaria, there was this man here, Simon. He had practiced sorcery. He amazed all the people. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, I'm sorry, Sometimes you have jokes that run through your head when you're preaching. And that's an own private joke in my head. It just sounds like some politicians from my home country. That's all I was just thinking that. So uh, he boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. Now if we were just to do a little bio on this guy Simon, what do you think was motivating him? As we read just this little introduction, not knowing anything else of what what comes, this was a guy motivated by power, prestige, position. And later on, when he sees the power of the Holy Spirit, because people start responding to the gospel, Peter and John are laying hands on people. They're receiving the Holy Spirit at this point. And if you go... Um, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money 
and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. This was a dangerous situation. A dangerous deception. What was dangerous about this? Again, a man motivated by prestige and power. You take these two together. These two pictures of Ananias and Sapphira and now Simon and his sorcery. This risk from within of something that comes from an impure motivation that is self, selfish rather than selfless and can destroy everything. Whenever um, I've thought about ministry in, in the context of a church and particularly leadership and people who contribute and different things, um, there are different categories that are so important. And sometimes we focus on the wrong ones. Thinking like, okay, so um, we have a need in the church and um, we've got to get this ministry done. And so who do we know that's really good at this particular task? Who has this kind of competency? Right? We just find that person and, and plug them in. Or, um, well, who's, you know, who's here all the time? We don't know much about them, but at least they show up. Right? We want to make sure when it's road of time, they're there, that kind of thing. They're, they're committed. And that is, that is so important to consider those things. But what this is getting at is something that is frequently unseen. And that is Character. that we lose sight of. This is a, a dangerous deception when we move from a position where character is compromised. And when we think about um, what it means for a church to be on the move, to be going on the mission of God, to see that redemptive person going to more and more people, one of the things that can sabotage that and sink it quickly is to not remember how important it is that who we are before God matters more than what's being done for him. Does that make sense? And so these, you know, while there may not be a, a perfect example of that, we see how these, again, Examples of challenges. And for us to ignore them, to think, well, that same kind of thing can happen today. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not counting anyone dropping dead before we leave the building here tonight. Um, but it is a reminder to us, that challenge, that some of the greatest risks can come from within if we don't um, keep the, the essential things of who we are before God uh, in place. A couple more things. Um, if we looked at direct opposition, if we look at dangerous deception, risks from within, this is going to be a harder one for me to get out because British English pronounces these words differently. Ready? Doctrinal controversy. Did I say it right? Doctrinal controversy. Great. I would have said in the, in the States, doctrinal controversy. <laughs> so I had to try to get that out right. Um, and this does not mean doctrinal disagreement on every last thing. But... Those things that pose a threat to the truth of the gospel message. There are doctrinal things that we can rightfully disagree upon. Disputed matters that the scriptures tell us to be careful how we hold positions on. That we hold them in love. That we hold them graciously. Um, that we don't judge one another. That the positions we hold we are convinced of by faith. 
that kind of thing. But there are certain things that are essential, non-negotiable things. And there were, they, they rarely present themselves as someone walking into a fellowship and saying, I'm here to blow everything up with what I believe. I'm going to present something false. It's rarely how it happens. Usually it happens as God is on the move, there's a response to that, and something insidious gets sown that has the potential to undercut the power and truth of the gospel message. You see it developing in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 11, which I believe is on your, on your sheet, where Peter at this point had, um, in Acts chapter 10, had gone to the house of a man named Cornelius, who was a Gentile, God-fearing Gentile. And he goes and, in, in obedience to the Lord, goes there, preaches the gospel to them. They respond in faith. This is something new. Most converts had, been, uh, <clears throat> had not been Gentile to that point. And there were Jewish believers who didn't like that. And their response was, when they heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, the Jewish believers, criticized him and said, you went into the house of, an, of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Though that statement, because there's this you know, divide, but... This sows the seeds, and it bears fruit even, in, even later on. But they're challenging him, basically. The idea, the thought that's progressing here is someone just cannot put their faith in Jesus. They must first convert to Judaism and then put their faith in Jesus. It's a, it's a, it's a step. It's, it's a work, if you will. And you see how this bears out because later on in Acts chapter 14... When Paul and Barnabas go to the Gentiles and there's a harvest there and they report back to Antioch from where they went. It says certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And then in verse 5, as they reported, it says some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So they were adding in the law. They were adding in saying you cannot be saved. They were undercutting. They were posing a threat to the truth of the gospel message. That can come in in a variety of ways. In fact, later on, if you read through the epistles, the pastoral epistles, when, when Paul was writing to Titus, you can almost hear him speaking to situations like this. I don't have this on the screen, but he said, Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. This is, again, not talking about um, areas of doctrine where we can rightfully disagree. Christians disagree about all kinds of what I would call secondary issues of doctrine. But when we're talking about how is it that a person can have their sins forgiven? What makes them right with God? What is it that Jesus accomplished for us? How do we respond to that? These are vital, essential things. 
And don't be surprised if in the course of time in our life and in, in the life and ministry of this church, if there are moments when those doctrinal controversies present a challenge, either in that form or in others, things that uh, you could add to this not only threaten the truth of the gospel message, but threaten the unity of the body. And so he says, avoid those controversies. And then last, I had to come up with a D. I hope you like this one. Dueling personalities. I had to linger long on that one. How do I find a D? So we have direct opposition, dangerous deception, doctrinal controversy, and dueling personalities. Now, to be honest, I probably could have spent the entire conversation tonight on this one. Because I would hazard to guess, I think many other church leaders would too, 90% of all the challenges and conflict that churches face, that the church of God faces in terms of its mission, is in the form of interpersonal disputes. In my experiences, most church conflicts don't happen over doctrine. You know what they happen over? We have a joke in the States, pastors. It happens over the color of the carpet. Or how bright the lights are. How loud the music is. That kind of stuff. Dueling personalities, the form of interpersonal disputes. You see that in Acts chapter 6. The word of God, the gospel is moving forward. Acts chapter 6 verse 1. In those days, the number of disciples was increasing. What should you expect? Challenge (laughs) in some form or fashion. Directly, doctrinally, internally. Somebody, you know, taking their eye off the ball. Interpersonal disputes. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of bread. You had two different groups. And there was, I don't know, perhaps who knows what the, uh, the exact dynamics were between them. But it seems like interpersonal disputes are the easiest ones that develop and the ones that can cause the most damage. Now they dealt with this. If you read through the the rest of uh, Acts chapter 6, they found a way to deal with it. They appointed people to make sure things were being done fairly. And uh, the disciples focused on, the apostles focused on the preaching and teaching of the word of God. But that could have gone south. And the momentum and the movement that could have, was meant to keep going forward could have been hampered. But it can get worse. Sometimes those who are deeply involved in ministry can deeply disagree. Paul and Barnabas. You know, we heard a lot about Paul and Barnabas. uh, Going to Antioch and going out on on the missionary journeys. But they had a deep disagreement. In Acts chapter um, 15, I'm sorry I don't have this on the screen. That's a mistake of, of mine. But if you have your Bibles, if not, that's fine. But Acts chapter 15, verse 36. <clears throat> they had come back to Antioch, and some time later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. 
But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. There's kind of some dry language for something that to me sounded pretty hairy. It was such a sharp disagreement. They couldn't see eye to eye. They couldn't come to a position where they say, okay, well, let's accommodate one another. Like most of us do, right? Doesn't always work, apparently. Interpersonal disputes. Now, interesting how this ended up. Years later, Paul says of John Mark in 2 Timothy 4.11, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. While it led to a parting of ways, it's interesting as you see the wisdom in how they kept moving forward that we'll get onto in just a second, that years later, this was the statement that could be read. I am so glad we serve a God who's sovereign and that all the challenges we've talked about tonight are nothing <laughs> in terms of him moving forward, this idea of a church being on the move. But we, we live it out in, in day to day. And some of us who've been around for a while, and if you haven't, if you're new to church world, these things I've mentioned, you're probably like, yeah, I've seen that over the years. I've seen that from time to time. I've seen that. But as they think about the wisdom with which they dealt with these things, I didn't mention as we went through. I just want to highlight it now. And you can go back and reread some of these passages if you want. But what was amazing in each one of these challenges, they stayed focused. The main thing remained the main thing. And that is that they were on God's mission for God's glory in his power to reach more people and have more people develop and deepen. And wherever the challenge came from, whether it was a religious voice saying, don't speak anymore, they said, no, we'll keep speaking. Or if a political power came along and, and challenged, sometimes God directly intervened. God is sovereign. He kept moving things forward. They were, they were focused. And because they were focused in all of these different areas, whether it was a dangerous deception from within or a doctrinal con controversy that threatened the gospel, they were focused, and as being focused, it made things very clear that they could be faithful. Faithful to the message, faithful to Jesus, faithful to the gospel, that they didn't back down. They kept going. So in terms of dealing with challenges wisely for us, we think about, okay, why did we start this series the way we did? About why we're here the mission, the glory of God, all these things. If we don't have that focus right, Jesus reminded us, right? Jesus told us, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Be shrewd as snakes, as innocent as doves. Like there's going to be a strong wind blowing against you. Challenges of all stripes. And if the foundation is not solid and you don't stay focused on that, things will topple. Stay focused on the main thing being the main thing. Reaching more people with the gospel and developing more people into followers of Jesus Christ for God's glory. Be faithful in that. And as we're faithful in that, you know what I find is so interesting as you read through this? I couldn't find the right word for it. I had to find another F again. <laughs> Focus, faithfulness, what? Freedom. 
And that's not the freedom to do whatever we want, but the freedom to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. What's the freedom in this that I mean? They didn't have a script. Acts chapter 6, the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews are, you know, they didn't know what to do. But in wisdom, what did they do? They created a new way to deal with it. They didn't have this group of guys to deal with this issue, so they created a structure to deal with it. Freedom. Addressed it. Empowered somebody. Ministry moves forward. The challenge led to an opportunity. And I think that's just the thing to think about, the freedom that we have as the challenges come, not to get discouraged, to expect them, to have confidence in a sovereign God who is walking us forward with them, and then to look at every challenge, no matter if it's on this page that I've given you or not, instead of shrinking back in fear, saying, there's an old saying we would have in the States in ministry, if you're not taking flack, you're not over the target, you guys should probably identify that with more World War II than, than even in the U.S. But the enemy is not going to cause a fuss where there's no danger, no threat. That's why I talked about interests being threatened. And if there's opposition challenges that come, again, don't be discouraged for us as a church. Stay focused, stay faithful, operate in freedom, wise as serpents, innocent as doves, faithful to him, and see it as an opportunity to know God better, to see his provision, and then to see his glorious power at work. Because what did Jesus say? I will build my church. And all of these challenges can't stop it, no matter where they come from. So let's pray together and ask the Lord to help us. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for these truths. We thank you for the power of the gospel. We thank you for King Jesus, that he is risen and reigning and returning. And until he comes back, Lord, we know that we are an outpost of your kingdom, that you have ordained that the church should be on the move as you move in us, in us and through us to accomplish your, your purposes, to accomplish your mission for your glory in reaching more and more people, rescued, being rescued out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your Son whom you love and developing them to see them become holy, devoted followers of Jesus who love him and serve him, all to bring glory to you. Lord, the challenges will come. We'll know they'll come. I have not even scratched the surface. But Father, we thank you that you are faithful, that you are mighty, that you are good. So help us to stay focused. Help us to stay faithful. Help us to operate in spirit-led freedom, controlled by him and by your word, to meet challenges with creativity and optimism because you will lead us for your glory to greater things. There are opportunities for your power to be at work. And we thank you that we can trust you. Thank you, Lord, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us, your power, that you will be glorified through this church no matter the challenges we face. And we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.